Welcome to Firing Pin Leadership, your podcast about leadership development with an emphasis on growth and influence. While each episode centers on public service, discussions cover what works and what doesn't to guide and support your leadership acumen. I'm your host, BJ King. Welcome to this episode of Firing Pin Leadership. Today's episode is not going to have a guest speaker uh, with me for me to interview. What I will be doing is reviewing a few articles that has information on leadership that most likely will be taken advantage of for the input that it can provide. The first one I like to talk about is the neuropsychology of good leaders making dumb mistakes. Now that while this does sound rather nerdy, it does clarify some really beneficial information that can really set the standard for the rest of the episode. What I'd like to go ahead and tell you is that when you review something and learn something, you always try to make it to the simplest, lowest common denominator. And that way it's understood and able to make more complex additions to it, such as soccer. You're not going to go ahead and be a, a professional soccer player, right? After a couple of weeks of practice, it's a long standing type of skill acquirement. And this is very valuable and applicable to leadership in making decisions. The thought is that you use reductionist processes to categorize and make sense of what you're able to learn and apply with what you already know. Because the way the brain works, you're trying to make those associations in order to make sense of the new standard. However, it's not always easy, just like anything new. As a result, vulnerability to errors and mental coding are easily revealed in leadership as well as with anything else but to include leadership the article writer carlene kerfoot mentions that there are blind spots when developing your leadership just like driving there's uh, blind spots when you're moving about between the a-pillar the mirrors as well as what's behind you and outside your peripheral vision in developing leadership you have to learn to understand that there are blind spots and that you can work past those in order to get to your destination. At the same time, there's also the idea of filters that you use for the current credible information that you do have on what is valid and how you apply it. Those mental filters can be clouded with emotions that may overrule the intellect or reasoning, just to give you an idea. And as you get the idea of how challenging those filters are for you as you develop your skill set then you can understand what it takes for you to overcome the blind spots and take the most benefit of your filter that you have to work through. One of the things that you have to understand is that there's the pattern recognition that you always associate with of how does this make sense. And that's always helpful. However, in dynamic matters in leading, there's a risk of overlooking details, not seeing the forest through the trees, so to say. And with that, you have to Go ahead and be sure to slow down so that you can take in the whole scene to know what you're looking at. Efficiency can lead to errors and missing the obvious and not giving credibility to the size of that blind spot because that your filter of understanding, taking in that input for decision making may have already been predetermined in your mind and therefore you end up finding that hurdle. There can be cognitive errors and the cognitive debiasing that is an effort to eliminate or minimize the missed opportunities what that means is in my understanding is that you can have errors in your 
thought process that's no fault of your own. It's just this is how you're thinking, but you're used to football, and here you are playing soccer. There's some validity, but it's still different because you have that bias that, hey, I need to kick the ball all the time, or I need to go ahead and throw it or be ready to tackle. When you're dealing with soccer, that's not going to happen. But you still know that there's a ball to deal with. As a result, you can have missed opportunities and developing those skill sets of leading. You have to go ahead and understand that to eliminate or minimize, you have to be aware of red flags. Those red flags that are worse or just can be very comparable to blind spots and the misleading filters in your mind. The conflict of interest attachments to people, places, or things, and finally, the presence of misleading memories. And I'll get into that. Take, for instance, the idea that people prefer to have numbers and depend solely on those numbers. We all know that statistics can be beneficial when they're applied correctly. While statistics don't lie, statisticians do because they end up going ahead and twisting things and provide an influence or impact that may not be to the interest of what the statistic actually shows. Going back to the conflict of interest, of course there's the idea of nepotism. That's pretty easy. However, there can be a conflict of interest with a personal relationship that you may have with someone that I like that person better other than the performance. Or the performance is so outrageously incredible that you ignore the fact that you don't have a relationship with that person for which you can work within that capacity and you look past it however then you realize that as you're working with that person in some fashion that it's just not a good fit and therefore what do you count as valid and necessary given the work environment for the interaction or the goal that you're seeking and it's kind of like the idea of using your head and your heart to make a decision well you can use your head just bring your heart along is probably the best one that I've heard before. As for misleading memories, statistically, they have proven that a memory can be inaccurate on a minimum basis of about 15, 10 to 15%. So every time you recall something, it, there may be a level of your own desire to remember it a certain way. Not to say that it's completely wrong, but there is a level of emotional impact that you associate with being able to remember that. While 15% is easy to remember for me, it may be updated by now uh, to where it's actually 12% or 20%. Who knows? Uh, I haven't done the research. All I know is when I learned that information about eight years ago, I took that to heart because I thought I may need to use it, such as in this episode. Another concern is the idea of while using these filters, uh, in your mind in order to rationalize and make decisions you have to also have to be very careful not to oversimplify and while you're looking for that common denominator that basis for making a decision you can make the mistake of oversimplifying and making it a too much of a general forest as you're looking through those trees and misunderstanding the idea of the size and the importance of what that forest provides for information for you. So what do you do in order to minimize the risk of making poor decisions? Basically, I'll just be honest, this article, I, while I get into it, it's gonna mention 
the concept of being humble. What the article mentions is that it, encouraging dissent, as in take the contrast, take the opposite, see what, how valid those points are, see how impactful those uh, consequences of those points may be for your goal. Abraham Lincoln, while he was part of the Republican Party that was new, he had Democrats in his cabinet. If you can win those over, then clearly you're going to do something effective for something that's so important as the highest office. It's clear that dissenters, those that can speak up and be critical in a constructive manner, can create a better outcome if we use, if they are used appropriately. As in, you can take them to heart, but understand that there may be those conflict of interest or an inappropriate attachment that may not be valid or they're taking their heart over their head way too much on an interest for that dissent. Another perspective that you can use is to discuss those red flag conditions openly with your inner circle. Go ahead and lay it out online. Be honest. Say, well, I'm concerned that there's too much of an interest that, that may hinder what we're going for for this mission, for this strategy in completing the task at hand. Finally, admitting a mistake. You must see yourself first as always prone to making mistakes and develop feedback loops. That was quoted. Anyways, that was an important point to make because if you're humble enough to go ahead and say, oops, that was a screw up. Once you take ownership of something that falters, then there's a better chance of others working with you so that it can be worked through and recovered and most likely improved even better. One thing that I think of on that is trying to do school grades. If you screw up and get enough and you're honest with the instructor, there's a good chance you can say, is there a chance I can work at it, work through this to improve it? Usually teachers want you to succeed. They're willing to work with you. But that does not omit the idea of considering the proper the proper use of apologizing. President Kennedy did that on the Bay of Pigs incident. He won much more support that was ever expected with him just saying, I made the mistake, I made the bad call. I own this. I hope you can understand that. And people did. It's easier to get through and get through that. In conclusion for this article, I like to quote this one part. Once leaders admit that they are biased, too quick to judge others based on external experiences, unable to change initial perceptions easily, have a memory that is faulty, are more irrational than they want to accept, and willing to add dissent to their environment, they can begin reducing errors, unquote. And what I take from that is that even at that point, if there are errors, then they're not so bad. Are they even considered errors then? If you go and say, whoops. So this article, what I take away from this is that there is some science behind the idea of what it takes for leaders and that despite the best aspects of the perfect leader, neuropsychology proves that it's an evolution just like any other skill. Take anything and leadership is at that same challenge or acquiring what is necessary for that mission, for that goal that you or an organization or just group have. As we've concluded the idea of good er good leaders making bad errors, I'd like to also now cover 
the idea of critical competencies. That's the title of this next article written by Sylvester Taylor and Bill Passmore. What they declare are some ideas that once you acquire or work to acquire some basic concepts that such competencies will drive the effort forward much further. Such skills that include managing change, learning agility, interpersonal relationships, and collaboration, basically working with people. The first point is discovery-based learning. And the idea of that, yeah, it's a bit of that critical thinking that colleges, universities, and some high schools push hard for of, well, duh, it's the, well, this is my point, this is the accuracy that I have, this is the fact that supports why I have this opinion kind of thing. Discovery-based learning has a level of curiosity and openness for learning, for learning alone, and then also taking calculated risks in order to learn those ideas to move forward, and then the ability to structure learning experiments that produce fresh insights that provides a level of applicability to what what you're seeking to do. Again, this article even brings up encouraging dissent, that therefore then your thought of moving forward is challenged effectively, properly, and to have a level of consideration, as long as you're humble though, and then also actively seeking input from a variety of sources, and that includes internally and externally considering those sources. Finally, for the discovery-based learning idea is the challenging the status quo, maintaining a state of perpetual interest to make things better, to constantly challenge. The next point that the article elaborates on is collective, collaborative strategic decision-making. This is don't go at it alone kind of thing. The willingness to take charge and make the tough calls, first as an individual in the face of some sort of confusion dynamic, impactful matter that may involve life-saving or life-hindering actions, but also making sure that you're not alone and not just the action itself, but that if you have to make that action, you're supported as well. It's important to have an understanding of of the value of collaborative decision-making and to learn how to have a level of influence with authority That creates interdependent as opposed to dependent cultures within the organization, but that comes down to those little decision-making perspectives that, you know, don't drink from the water fountain with your mouth on the spigot kind of thing. Well, that that creates a culture. If you're able to go ahead and, and support that driving dissent that may be within an organization of encouraging that voice, at the same time, you're able to minimize the volume of that dissent then you're able to adapt. Another point is that the article makes is that shaping work for meaning, however only 13% of the workforce is highly engaged, that's horrible. So between all the decisions that people have to make in order to support their motivations, whether it be money or time or family or any of those things that people value with priorities and, and whatnot, I tell you, that does make sense because people are willing to make sacrifices and one of those sacrifices can easily be to be engaged fully and therefore as a leader to raise that number up is easily 
a challenge that can be taken that would be worthwhile. So how does a leader support organizational competency? And this goes along with shaping work for meaning, uh, stimulating and listening to ideas, acknowledging and rewarding efforts, providing time, space, and resources for innovation, removing barriers, allowing people to assume positions of influence. And that includes outside the idea of titles or just positions. And while I rattled those off, basically that's a holistic perspective of supporting a culture. While one may not have that title or burden, so to say, to encourage those points, they can still go ahead and have those attitudes as if they were at the same time. Another competency that's brought up is activating open networks. And I'll quote this section here. Leaders of the future will recognize that the expertise and capabilities that can be captured via full-time employment are but a micro microcosm of the total expertise available in the global labor pool. Basically, it comes down to acknowledging who your resources, your sources for support are on the below you and over you in order to complete that mission, whether it be just to get to retirement or obtain that new position or even acquire that new skill. One thing to ensure is to provide an environment of ensuring adequate engagement. Once you're able to establish that level of engagement and people know that you can be approachable in that perspective, the network grows, the contacts expand, the favors then can be given and received. The next point that the article has is leading complex and continuous change. This is going regarding going above and beyond. And today, uh, the article says, success of single change efforts remains stuck at about 33%. To expect a failure rate for concepts being grasped at 66% probably is an indication that emails aren't the best idea, particularly broad-based, hey, we found this problem, stop doing that kind of email. In a way, that's a level of micromanagement because it's very broad. If one person tends to not score the goal in the soccer goal, then obviously all of them have that problem. So we need to work on just that or understand how to work that computer program. No, if it wasn't clear the first time by the leader, then the leader needs to go ahead and express that mission repeatedly in a positive light that can be received for the audience. However, that's the another burden of the leader is to identify and prioritize opportunities more quickly as the dominoes are falling also understanding who who and what your resources are some people may may be more effective as a rock and they're there being a rock it's not much of a speed bump but they're still a speed bump because they're a rock again while leading complex and continuous change one of the things to take advantage of is the interdependencies of multiple and simultaneous changes. Basically, as organizations, as families, as any social construct that may be established, there is an evolution. And one way as a leader is to understand that person or that interaction's part for the role that they are playing for 
whether it be, again, a mission or some goal that may be in mind. If this is utilized enough, then there is that opportunity for increased speed of change. As in, before you know it, you will be that pro soccer player because you understand all the complexities. You're aware of those blind spots, as I mentioned earlier, and you'll be able to work through any other hurdles that come forward much better, much more efficiently because of that constant practice. The last point that the article presents for critical competencies is pursuing vertical development, and that's adding more complex thinking capacity. It's not so much the idea of adding skills, about the ability to balance the here and now against preparing for the future. This is done by developing ability to see patterns, develop the pattern recognition that we talked about, learning to think in terms of paradoxes and polarities, focusing uh, exclusively on the ends of a continuum. Well, that's a little complex there for me. What I take from that is to take from both ends of the field and be willing to accept everything that happens on that field between the goals, whether it be the polar opposite or coincidental type activities. Envisioning long-term possibilities rather than being paralyzed, as in analysis paralysis kind of thought, where, oh my gosh, there's just so much I need to stop and reevaluate and then make this one determined route. And then if there's a hurdle, then I'll stop, maybe even pull back a little bit from the direction I was thinking about going, change direction and reevaluate and then go forward. You got to be careful of that because not making a decision is still a decision and other people will make those decisions, and it may not be in the interest of the mission or the goal. Another perspective of pursuing vertical development is understanding the use of technology. This technology age, and it's only going to get bigger, longer, faster, more complicated to be more simple for everyone. Another perspective of pursuing vertical development is seeing beyond the personal achievement and advancement. That is critical in the idea that the mission or the goal is bigger than yourself. Maybe those sacrifices are worth it. Maybe someone else's sacrifices are worth it. The idea is that if that other person's role is included in making that active decision with dignity, then it'd be easier for them. And that is what makes a leader. Now I'm going to go into my next article, Overcoming the Top 10 Leadership Mistakes by Robert Pater. And the goal of this article Uh, comes over as change your game to achieve game-changing results. I'll go ahead and get right into it because I think the first mistake that he earmarks has to do with humility, and the mistake is arrogance. The article brings up the idea of identifying what arrogance is with examples of I can see and do all, not providing respect to others, ignoring your own mistakes, and being defensive in response to any sort of feedback. He explains that to recover from that, lead by taking personal responsibility. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, I think it's an easy concept for you that to provide a level of respect, but also self-respect to yourself with understanding that sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. An accident can happen. See it for what it is, by golly. Another mistake that Another mistake that a leader can make is that of distraction. Now, personally, I know that my issue for a long time has been a level of uh, impulsivity regarding urgency and having to get something done here and there and whatnot. So 
in essence, I was distracting myself from the idea of what goal I was looking to achieve. And he identifies the idea of distraction, the ability to control your own attention, to go for the shiny object or squirrel or go for that quick fix, that quick win, that quick buck. To recover from such distraction, one idea is to plan, to actually have a strategy, have a tactical response to apply to the general concepts for which you think that there might be a level of urgency and work through it that way. Another mistake is disconnection. This idea is basically not bothering to seek a rapport with those that a leader may interact with, but to also not even put any effort into it. While this is a little bit of the idea of arrogance, but sometimes you may need to have a connection with someone, but if you fail to have any sort of connection, then that's just the same as not providing that level of respect with those that you work with, unless you're willing to take this all on by yourself. But you're going to have that result of one. If you have the support of others, then the mission success will be magnified more than just yourself. To make sure that you have the transverse of disconnection, just contribute nicely. Drop in, have a discussion, cup of coffee. Try to go ahead and bother to get an idea of what the pulse of an organization is. You ask someone what the morale of an organization is, you're gonna. there's a higher chance that you're going to get their perspective of how happy they are with the role that they are seeking. Well, the morale sucks. Well, no, that, that that's your perspective. Well, I know that five others also do that too. Well, yeah, when you talk crap in, 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 by the water cooler or uh, on break or something or side-by-side uh, uh, side, uh, in the parking lot, yeah, it's easy to, to talk like that. But it's also the hand that feeds you is what you're getting upset about. If you ask for a pulse of an organization, what is the pulse? Is it young and vibrant or is it having a hard go and on life support well that's a clue i think the pulse of the organization is just at the beginning and it's able to go ahead and do some sprints and some ready to do that marathon with no problem well that's that culture that's guided by the leader but at this point everybody can also be that leader by contributing to what that pulse can be whether it's fast-paced or restful but it's not just asking what the pulse is it's how are you doing today? Did you have any troubles getting to work today? Or how's your day been? Is there anything I can do to help? Is there some other resource I can direct you to? Is there some way I can help? Again, letting that person know that they're not alone, that they can go ahead and depend on a little bit of support can really go a long ways. Another mistake that an organization can make or a leader can make is that of complacency. Settling in on what's accepted when there are challenges. For sheriff's offices and police departments that have been around since the 1800s, all through the 1900s, and now the 21st century, and they're still having the problems that they have, it's kind of odd that they would permit that level of complacency for not answering those problems or to let it degrade to that point after having such a high point, if there was any one at all of a high point, or to go ahead and say that, well, our workforce is getting older, or, man, our workforce is so young, and there's not that many working right now. Well, that's accepting that, and saying that that, I'm not saying that that's not an excuse, or a good reason to have the challenges that may occur. I'm merely saying that that is a complacent answer to go ahead and minimize any such challenges. And so what can be done? At every level, 
provide challenges within oneself, the inner circle, and beyond if given that opportunity. That's how you deal with complacency. Up the standard ever so slowly. You can only eat a cake one bite at a time. But if you have a lot of frogs to swallow, you go ahead and swallow the biggest one. But if it's too much for others, you may have to take a bite like a cake. But really, the only way to deal with complacency is to go ahead and come up with ideas. And I'm not saying reinvent the wheel or call it a different grading system when it's just the same one with a different title. But actually look to move people with the general idea of getting them to move towards that same goal. Now, it's important to understand to not get that confused or go overboard with the next mistake of command and assume and demand right away immediate gratification for the results of changing how some process or a policy has been made and think, well, all right, it's the second day and it should already be well understood. Oh, it's not. Well, I'll go ahead and send an email to everyone that further explains it. Well, that may not be it. Maybe the policy wasn't clear in the first place or the preparatory discussion was not clear enough. But to push for a new action right away and to demand immediate improvement might just go ahead and have the opposite effect. So how does one get over that? Well, the article says listen, draw out, and involve more. Basically, warm people up to the idea of changes to occur for a new process to be provided. Yeah, you, you may understand this. You may get the idea. But clearly, if this is an issue that some leaders aren't humble enough to understand and accept, then clearly it's a simple mistake that anybody can fall into. The next mistake that leadership can turn towards is that of tunnel vision and correctly positioning safety only as prevention rather than as an opportunity to attain high-level objectives of engagement and productivity. That was quoted, by the way. Uh, yeah, um, I would have to say that going down the wrong path or not really paying attention to the mission and thinking that it's the means to an end, which is the mission, when the means was never thought out deeply enough or expecting having an un reasonable level of expectation of results and thinking that, all right, well, I sent that email. We're good to go. I know I've already brought that up, but sometimes it's an oversimplified consideration or thinking that uh, if I have them stand still long enough, they'll get the idea. Eh, sometimes you can beat people into submission to understand that something is important, but it won't be respected. And then you risk going down that 33% hold rate for new implementation. So how does a leader go get over that? Widen and lengthen vision. Okay, so be more broad, more basic, so to say, in what you're going for, but it's important to make sure that it's attainable. You can't jump up an entire ladder up the side of the house. You can go ahead and take it one step at a time. Another mistake is getting in your own way and making it difficult to improve. Basically trying to take too much all by yourself and make it the me show. Uh, it's me, me, me. Uh, the attention whores, so to say. Uh, and that as long as I go ahead and push it this way and you hear my voice over the radio or the email has my name at the end of it, then it matters. However, on the inconverse, if you just make continuous, slow 
adjustments, then they can be more welcomed. Another mistake is not using leverage, as in not knowing what your resources are, or resisting change, resisting knowing that your chance for succeeding in that mission is lower if you happen to go ahead and take advantage of that resource, of that person's role for which they are there for. How do you get over that? Plan, act, ask for their contribution, see if they're willing to step up as well. Two mistakes left. The next one is reinforcing ineffectively. Ignoring or giving attention, not giving the kudos, the attaboys, the girls, and then ignoring your own. Or to go ahead and give false incentives. It's the same idea. It's just as, it can be just as ineffective and just as dangerous. How does one get over reinforcing ineffectively? Increase the number of validating contacts. Make the communication more worthwhile, more authentic, more real, more significant to the recipient. Just put forth that effort and the frequency as necessary. Now, it does help to plan for reinforcement activities, but if you go about it haphazardly or not insightful enough, then it can be just as damaging as not doing them at all. The last mistake is identified as no juice. So this mistake has to do with misleading the idea or the misled idea of logic alone or the statistics alone and not put any heart factor into it, but complete the idea of just head and head alone. And if this methodology is applied, then this will be a result. And it's just that simple, and it can be applied just that fast. Well, this article goes ahead and explains that people always remember how you made them feel. And if you're looking to lead people, to influence them, if you make them feel valued and say that, yeah, there are statistics that say, or this methodology has been proven to show, but it's up to you to go ahead and reinforce it. Maybe we can get through this together. If you say something like that, put a little heart into it, provide them the opportunity to buy into the thought and to the person that's giving them that thought as well. Then there's a chance that you will find that the level of mistakes can easily be minimized, not completely avoided, because life happens. However, you consider the transverse or the converse of these mistakes, then there is a certain level of success. Well, I think that's going to be about enough of this wonderful podcast of nothing but my glorious voice. As I conclude, please know that I know that this was a little bit of a dry one, but it's also important to set that standard. If you're going to listen to this in order, this podcast in order, then please know that they will get better. I will also develop my skill even better with talking and reviewing articles for the handful of times I look to do this. Thank you for your time. Hey, I want to thank my guests for their insights on leadership. I also want to thank you, the listeners. Don't forget to follow Firing Pin Leadership on social media, which includes Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Keep in mind, a portion of proceeds goes to concernsofpolicesurvivors.org. Concerns of Police Survivors provides resources to fallen officers, families, and co-workers to rebuild their shattered lives. COPS offers training and assistance to law enforcement agencies nationwide on how to respond to tragic loss of a member of the law enforcement profession. Take care and God bless.